Hey everyone, it's time for another episode of Purple Process. There's a lot to cover, so let's get into it. This is Nick Miller with Climbing the Pocket, another episode of Purple Process. I first want to thank our sponsors. That's Badass Wood Art, Eastside Jiu-Jitsu, and of course, Lake Monster Brewing. Uh, obviously, as you all know, Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles tendon in the win against the Packers on Sunday. Uh, and that has a lot of uh, implications for the Vikings both now and into the future. Um, so we're going to try to get into those as much as possible, including the Daniil Hunter situation, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And the Vikings also made a few trades. Uh, so we're going to get into the weeds a little bit this episode. So I hope you guys all have your uh, nerd thinking uh, minds on because I really want to think through all the different scenarios and kind of the game theory of what Kwesi Dofamensa and the Vikings front office must be thinking right now, especially given the context of Kwesi's press conference uh, this afternoon. So I'm recording this on uh, Wednesday night. Um, so first, let's get to the tr- get to Kirk Cousins. So uh, Sunday during the game, Kirk Cousins is playing great. The Vikings were, you know, trouncing the Packers. He takes a step back, um, steps wrongly. His cleat gets stuck. You know, I'm not really sure what happens. He ends up, you know, tearing his Achilles. Uh, obviously, devastating injury for Kirk, especially in the contract year. Um, you know, he was really playing well coming on the last few games. The team's been rallying and won three straight. Uh, the underlying analytics for the Vikings have improved a lot. If you look at their DVOA numbers, they're the 15th team in the league. I think they're 14th in offense, 10th on defense, which is incredible. Um, I think Kwesi Dofamensa said it himself today. You know, if you looked at where the Vikings were, you know, even when they were one and four, the underlying metrics said that they are a better team than what they were, which is something that we've been saying on the show as well. Is that the is that the team has always uh, been uh, outperforming. Um, their record uh, so far this year. And uh, I I was pushing on uh, Twitter, even at the start of the season, saying that this 2023 uh, Vikings team is better than the team last year, despite the record difference. And sometimes it's just like that. And, uh, you know, you can, I think the Vikings strung together a series of uh, improbable wins last year and it was all feel good. But when it comes down to the fundamental uh, aspect of, you know, how the team is actually playing, uh, this is a relatively strong unit relative or compared to the 2022 Vikings. Uh, and they had opportunities for a continued growth, especially with the young defense and the Vikings were playing well without Justin Jefferson. And you assume that they're, they were going to take a step forward, you know, when he came back. So for Kirk Cousins to go down now, uh, it was really kind of a devastating injury because, you know, they had a chance to compete in a very weak, uh, NFC with over half a season to go, half a season to gel and continue to get things, you know, moving in the right direction. It's possible that they were going to make some noise. You know, if you had been following the show the last few weeks, I was definitely a skeptic about what was going on, but it was really undeniable if you looked at, and I'm I'm always driven by the data, uh, just kind of like similar to what Kate Kwesi said in his press conference today. You know, when they're low, typically a little bit higher than what other people are thinking because, you know, all those turnovers and stuff are not indicative of how a team is playing overall. Like they were able to move the ball. They, they're doing, doing some things at defenses. They had some defensive backs where the ball just went through their their hands and such. And most of, most of that, I'm not going to say it's luck, but, you know, whether it was the yips or whatever is going on, they just weren't playing to their uh, – they were playing better than what the, the final score was predicting. And then when they beat the 49ers, um, you know, and the Bears, you know, I was on the show saying, eh, they're not as good as you're thinking based upon those those um, 
I know Gaines did just play. And I think they went into the 49ers game ranked uh, 16th in DVOA, and they came out 16th in DVOA. And I think that there were some things that the 49ers did, you know, during the game that shot themselves in the foot, kind of like what the Vikings were doing, um, you know, earlier in the season that gave a better indication of, you know, how well the Vikings were, or suggested the Vikings were playing better than they actually did. But all kinds of even out where the Vikings, you know, were about a 15th ranked team, you know, in the NFL kind of in the middle with opportunities to advance moving forward, especially, you know, hoping that the offense, which has a lot of strengths and Justin Jefferson coming back was going to be able to step up their game. And if the defense held anywhere near the top 10, you know, in DVOA, you know, you were, you know, really thinking that the Vikings could make a move once again in a weekend NFC, but all that's out the window now. And so, you know, the, the brain trust had to get together and think about, okay, what we're going to do moving forward. And this is where it gets really interesting over, you know, the last few days about how, short-term decision-making in the last 72 hours really affected the long-term vision. So they were, let's let's talk about first the things they did, and then we'll talk about the things they didn't do. So first, they acquired Josh Jobs uh, via trade. Uh, really, so they sent a 2024 sixth-round pick. They got the Cardinals' 2024 seventh-round pick. However, there is condition based on playing time, uh, as reported by Adam Schefter. We don't really know what that condition is, but it's possible that the, the – Cardinals 2024 seventh could turn into a six round pick. Now, I don't think that it's for 2024. I think if there is a uh, lapse in um, playing time or something that 2024 or that that six round pick could be in 2025. Not really sure what the conditions are. I'm just kind of speculating there, but we don't know the full circumstance. Either way, it's negligible. We, we traded uh, our six round pick for a late uh, pick from the Cardinals uh, to acquire Josh Jobs. So once again, kind of a free trade. Uh, for, for Quessy. He did it earlier with uh, Cam Akers uh, in there. And so uh, kudos to Quessy for being able to find these moves that are very low impact, not giving up any draft capital when it comes to pick wise, but just moving, you know, late round uh, draft picks. Um, and so it was really essential to get uh, another quarterback in here. You know, I was speculating, I think a lot of people were saying, is it going to be Colt McCoy? Uh, but Colt McCoy hasn't played all year. Josh Dobbs has been starting, you know, the entire season. He's fresh. He could come in. He's He's uh, shown that he can learn a playbook on the fly and perform well. He's done it a few times already uh, just within the last you know two years. And so uh, they know that they can get him up to speed fairly quickly to run some version of the offense. That being said, the Vikings are going to roll with uh, Jaron Hall to start um, this upcoming week. And really, the way that I see it shaping up is while they did acquire a veteran, Josh Dobbs, Jaron Hall is going to get the first crack at this as the Vikings quarterback. And if he performs well, there's really no reason to move over to Josh Jobs. So it's Jaron Hall's job to lose. Um, you know, it's not like they invested a third or fourth round pick in Josh Jobs where they have to absolutely play him. In fact, if you have a rookie uh, that's performing well, that's the best case scenario. So I don't think that this is going to be something where, you know, uh, it's Josh Jobs no matter what or Nick Moulds no matter what. But that being said, you know, if Jaron Hall's not up to the task, this team wants to, it appears they want to still try to compete this year. Uh, with how the season is going and their upcoming games and the way that they're talking to, you know, the media about the moves that they're making. And so, you know, based on that, uh, if, if Jaron Hall can't go, then it's probably going to be Josh Dobbs, Dobbs show. The other move that they made was uh, as trading as a Cleveland to Jacksonville Jaguars for uh, a six round pick. And I saw some, a lot of people fired up about this trade. First of all, um, it's something that, uh, you know, I tweeted out, uh, I think it was October 4th, and I predicted that they were going to make this move at the trade deadline. I know Miles has been predicting this for a while, you know, too. And so there's, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall with this one, even though some didn't want to believe it. And here are the reasons. One, 
once they saw Dal uh, signed Dalton Reisner, it was clear that he was going to get an opportunity at some point based upon his contract. So that's either going to come on the left side of the line or the right side of the line. Um, they made a, a big investment in Edinger last year with, uh, with a second round pick, you know, for better or for worse GMs, uh, across the league. And this is universal. Don't want to move on from their draft picks. And so they want to give him every opportunity to start and perform and grow. And I think he has, he is definitely a better player than he was last year. Is he a good player? Not yet, but is he improving or showing, at least showing signs of improvement? I would say yes. And so they really didn't want to move, uh, Ed Ingram out of the place. So one, uh, so the only logical spot, especially since that's where Dalton Reiser has played his entire career as left guard, was for it to be Isaac Cleveland. Now, Isaac Cleveland's been playing well, uh, according to PFF. But for whatever reason, and this is, goes to every report that we've been hearing from um, uh, Darren Wolfson um, on uh, Score North or uh, the, the team at the Star Tribune, is that the Vikings weren't very interested in signing Ezra Cleveland. In fact, they had opened the door to possibly trade him. Um, in early August, and maybe if they would be able to trade him at that time, maybe they'd sold da Dalton Reisner earlier. But that being said, it doesn't seem like uh, Ezra Cleveland is part of their long-term plans. Uh, they really seem to to like what they have uh, in their depth uh, at that position with either Blake Brandell um, and also Chris Reed will be coming back soon. He practiced for the first time uh, this afternoon. Um, and so and they signed uh, that uh, Hakeem, I forget his last name, uh, as in another interior player. And so they have depth in that that middle spot. And it's becoming a little crowded, especially with Chris Reed coming back. They had the ability to make a move. So if you're not looking to sign Ezra Cleveland for the long term, he's not a starter anymore because you want to move on to Dalton Reisner and you have good depth regardless of it. It seemed very clear that, you know, you want to get something back from your return. So. You know, there are some that saying, oh, he should have went higher or, you know, he's been playing well or we could have got a comp pick for him anyway. But here's the thing about comp picks. And I, this is going to be really essential to the conversation that we're going to have about Daniil Hunter uh, here next. But comp picks, you know, one, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a comp pick before him. You know, there's only 32 comp picks. You know, every team has a player like Ezra Cleveland that's going to be available, um, you know, as a free agent. Uh, we don't know what his contract is going to be, especially if, you know, he lost a guy, lost his starting spot to, to Dalton Reisner and other teams are going to no notice that. So um, he's going to be a free agent. So even let's say he was eligible for a six round round comp pick. So the same thing. One, you got the Carolina Panthers six round pick back in the trade and it's this year instead of two of the 2025. So from that standpoint, you're a whole year earlier and way further up in the sixth round. So it's a lot more valuable. Second, comp picks only happen um it, based on a formula of a team losing players and signing players. So let's say the Vikings were to sign a player uh, to, you know, five or $6 million uh, this off season uh, or something around the range that Ezra Cleveland's going to get from another team. If that happens, they cancel each other out. So you don't get a draft pick for Ezra Cleveland as part of the, the comp pick formula because you added back what you subtracted. Uh, the comp picks are meant to you know, balance out teams losing too many players in, in free agency to keep a competitive balance. So you so essentially you upgraded your, your comp pick from 2005 to 2004, and you got a guaranteed pick for him when there's no guarantee that you're going to get a comp pick for him in 2025. So in my mind, that was a no-brainer. The only, the only reason why you wouldn't want to do that trade if you thought Ezra Cleveland was part of your long-term plans. That same logic could apply to other players on the roster, which they decided not to move. So if you start with like someone like KJ Osborne, the fact that they have Justin Jefferson and they have 
uh, Jordan Addison, who's really coming on, and they have some other young players, and KJ Osborne's going to you know, require uh, a pretty decent contract next year. He's probably not part of their long-term plans. Maybe surprises, maybe maybe he will. But I think that the betting favor is for him to be playing for a different team next year. So let's say that he signs for, you know, the seven, eight million dollars a year for another team and is aligned for a fifth, uh, fifth round comp pick in 2025. Once again, if the Vikings sign someone, which they'll have a little bit of cap space, depending upon the, their, their other moves that they decide to make, it'll cancel out. And so, could you, you know, with Justin Jefferson maybe coming back in a few weeks, Jordan Addison's coming on. Um, you have Brandon Powell. I think Jalen Naylor is about to be activated for this week. He practiced in full today. You got Tristan Jackson. You got Nikhil Harry. Could you have last went one more game or two until Justin Jefferson get, gets back um, and parted with KJ Osborne now and gotten a guaranteed draft pick uh, instead of trying to rely on a comp pick two years from now? That might or, may or may not happen. This is the kind of logic of why you know I was trying to push um, some some players to get traded before the before the trade deadline, and especially after Kirk Cousins goes down with you know a long term injury. Like, how much is the team actually going to compete this year? Same thing applies for a player like Jordan Hicks. Uh, he's I think thirty two years old. There's a very little chance that you're actually going to extend him, uh, and maybe you sign him for another one year deal. In that case, okay, if he's part of your plans next year, great. He has been playing a good year, but if you're just going to let him walk in free agency, he's probably not going to get a big contract as a 32, 33 year old. If you could have gotten a fifth round, a fifth or sixth round pick for him via trade now, these are the kind of moves that you do to add draft capital. So that being said, and you know, I watched Quasi Delphi's press conference today. It sounds like, sorry, my dog there in the background. Hey, Una. Una. Um, so if you uh, it sounds like from the press conference today, there's a few veterans that went to Quasi Dofa Metz and said, you know, hey, you know, we really like this team's chemistry. We like what's going on in the locker room. They we're gelling really well. Uh, can we keep the team together? And so Quasi took that to heart. And there's, you know, uh, we're on Purple Process or I'm on Twitter or whatever. And I'm making all these arguments. And I've talked a little bit about this in the past where I'm thinking, you know, big picture you know, process what's best from a from an analytical standpoint, what's best to maximize your resources, there is a locker room element to it. And if you're going to, you know, frustrate some of the team's players, uh, you know, because you you offloaded some of the veterans, uh, that's something they consideration. It seems like that weighed heavy on, on Quasi's mind uh, heading into Tuesday. That being said, all those comments were made before Kirk Cousins went down, you know, with, with a season injury. Uh, injury. So, you know, all those factors in mind, I'm not going to get on Quasi's case, especially going in knowing that he was, asked by veteran leaders not to do it. And it was a very difficult situation before Tuesday, you know, when your you know, starting quarterback um, goes down on Sunday to make all these decisions. But it is really, you know, something to consider that we probably passed on opportunities to get draft capital back for Jordan Hicks and, and KJ Osborne um, that we're just not going to get next year. Um, and and we missed that, that opportunity and that's okay. I mean, sometimes you got to, you know, pass on that kind of thing for, you know, the locker room chemistry or just the happiness with some of your veteran players or, you know, and, and, and the attempt to try to compete again this year. So where that really changes is the discussion about Daniel Hunter, because, you know, we're not talking about a fifth or sixth round pick now. You saw, you know, the two, the, the commanders traded their two starting pass rushers and talk about an analytically focused, you know, office that uh, our front office or new ownership that people are trying to really grapple with, you know, today, why would they would do such a thing? And this isn't the commander's process though. So we'll, we'll pass on that. Um, but, you know, they traded, uh, 
you know, sweat for a second round pick and uh, chase young for a third round pick. So you had to think there were some other needy teams out there like the, you know, Baltimore Ravens who are potentially looking for an edge rusher was at least rumored or the Jacksonville Jaguars who couldn't trade their second, third or fourth round picks, but had draft capital in 2025 that they could have potentially uh, maneuvered some sort of package together to make a, a move for Dino Hunter. And I'm sure there were offers. And Quasi Dova Mets has said as much today when he had a lot of communication with other teams. I mean, you want to have a pass rusher who's playing this well that's got 10 sacks into, into next year. You know, you really have to, to – there's going to be some calls on him. And so here's here's where we're getting to the, into the weeds and some of the stuff with Dino Hunter. So Dino Hunter is into his final year of his contract. He signed a um, – a, uh, you know, the deal to up his salary um, this past summer, right before the season. And as part of that deal, you, you cannot tag him. So with Daniil Hunter, your only real, you know, the only two things can really happen from here. Either sign him to extension or he walks in place with another team. The option to trade him is out the window. There's no, the, this is an NBA. We don't do sign in trades. So Daniel Hunter um, has a free path to free agency. Now we just saw that Rashawn Gary signed a deal for I think about twenty-four million dollars in new money per per year. That's probably going to, and that's a, a team-friendly re-signing. Uh, so that was not open market. So Rashawn Gary wanted to stay a Packer, and he signed the deal with the Packers. When you reach free agency, there's usually a premium on that because you have such a bidding war with other players. So, you know, going into this, Daniel Hunter coming off potentially his best season of his career is looking for that one final payday after uh, multiple times taking contracts with the Vikings that were below market. It would be incredibly foolish of Daniel Hunter uh, unless he really just loves being a Viking and, and he just wants to make it happen. He's made so much money, you know that you know, he just wants to take a team-friendly deal with the Vikings now without even testing, you know, free agency and, and checking out what his market is. Um, you know, I, that's great. And as a fan, we want to think about that those things. But if you think about yourself from an individual standpoint and you're thinking about this is money for your family or passed down generations or, you know, you have to live off this for the rest of your life or you want to support your parents or other your cousins or, or whoever, your friends, whoever it might be, and you're passing up on two or $3 million per year for the next three years. I, I'm sorry. I mean, if you're, you're asking an individual to pass on $10 million just so he can keep playing for your team for the next three years when he has his whole life in front of him, I think it's a really tough ask. Um, and so uh, I don't know that personally, I probably wouldn't do that. And I don't want to the draw Anthony Hunter to do that. So uh, I'm just guessing that his agent and everyone around him is going to su suggest that he go and test the market completely. And so he reaches that open market. And so he, the Vikings can make their best offer. Maybe he takes a small discount to stay with us. But either way, you're looking at a mid-20s uh, payday uh, per year for Daniel Hunter. And that's a huge investment for a guy who is, you know, 29 years old and, uh, you know, has some injury history. Maybe that'll bring down his price a little bit on the open market. But, you know, when you're a free agent, there's 32 teams interested in you. You know, some people have to throw caution to the wind, especially with their kind of in an all-in all in format. So it's going to be really difficult for the Vikings to compete on that market, knowing that they have to sign, you know, Justin Jefferson this offseason. They have to make room for Christian Derisaw. Uh, They have other areas of the roster that they need to improve. And we haven't even talked about what happens if the Vikings want to sign Kirk Cousins. I, do you really think that the Vikings can offer? I mean, we can get we can talk about Kirk Cousins here in a second. Offer a uh, talk about someone also has a free path to, to free agency and Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins is going to hit the open market. He's going to field offers uh, potentially. I know he wants he says he wants to retire a Viking, but 
you know, it would make sense for him to consider at least hearing what other teams have to say, or, or maybe, and that's maybe the leverage he has to try to get the Vikings to come to table and give him the deal before then, if they want to keep him. And then also Daniel Hunter. And so you, you've got some of your, your top franchise players that have free access to the market um, and the Vikings might have to pay out the nose them. Or the other option, if they don't want to pay him and they don't want to extend them at those market rates is that they walk. Okay. So let's talk about what that means. So let's say, let's talk with Daniel Hunter for a second, and then we'll get to the whole Kirk Cousins thing uh, momentarily. So Daniel Hunter, let's say he walks in, in free agency and he stop, he signs with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for for 24, let's say he just repeats the the uh, average annual value of the Rashawn Gary deal and he signs for $24 million and the Vikings don't want to do that. Uh, which, by the way, the Vikings have shown no interest in signing Daniel Hunter to a long-term deal over the last few years. That's why they've done those patchwork deals if the Vikings really loved Daniel Hunter as a long-term prospect and, and wanted to buy into him, um, or as Quasi Adofimensis would say, he loves flexibility unless he's absolutely certain about something, they could have done this in August. That's what Daniel Hunter wanted. And and I guarantee you the deal that Daniel Hunter would have done in August is going to be a, a lot cheaper than the deal that he's going to want to do in March. And so maybe if we do resign him, Quasi made a mistake by not doing it. But then again, you can't predict that Daniel Hunter is going to have a stay healthy and have a career year, you know, picking up 10 sacks and eight games, but I digress. Um, so let's say Daniel Hunter, let's say goes to the Jaguars as I made in that example. Um, and you are eligible to get, he signs a huge contract. So you're eligible to receive a 2025 um, third round compensatory pick. You only get that. You only get that draft pick once again if you don't yourself sign it. Let's say uh, the Bears are an incompetent franchise, and so they're unable to get Montez Sweat, you know, signed to a deal. And so the Vikings lost to Neil Hunter, but they want to sign Montez Sweat to twenty million instead. This is just hypotheticals uh, for for just get my argument across. They want to sign Montez Sweat to twenty million per year, and also qualifies as a third round comp pick. Well, the fact that you signed Montez Sweat means that you canceled out the Daniel Hunter, um, you know, deal that you got. So you basically uh, essentially traded Daniel Hunter for Montez Sweat, and you don't get that third round comp pick. So uh, essentially, if you want and you're all bought in as the Vikings, if, if Daniel Hunter walks uh, to getting that 2025 third round comp pick, then um, you know you basically handcuff yourself in your ability to to sign a big market free agent which i know many of you in march are going to be asking for and demanding you know if if you don't do that and because you lost daniel hunter and so you need a playmaker in his place you're going to cancel that out so you know that's it's it's a risky risky proposition where unless you feel confident and, and, and that you're going to sign daniel hunter to not trade him before tuesday because you're not going to get a lot of draft capital back for him and here's the other thing if let's say they would have traded him to let's say they traded him to the 49ers, um, you know, instead of the 49ers trading for for Chase Young. So they just give up a third. And I know a lot of you are screaming that you needed a first for him instead. OK, well, let's just say you, you trade a trade a third um, for Daniel Hunter. Well, one, that's going to be a third round, normal third, thir third round. Or actually, I think the 49ers traded the compensatory pick. But still, that's going to be a 2024 third relative to the 2025 third, which once again is not guaranteed. And so um, so the, the the value, if you look at the trade chart, the advanced analytics on trade charts or the Jimmy Johnson chart, typically a 2025 third is worth the equivalent of a 2024 fourth. So it's usually, it's usually the round behind 
you know, because you have the year delay, you know, the picks are more valuable because they come in the upcoming draft. And so even if you traded Daniel Hunter for a 2024 third round compensatory pick, it's going to be worth a lot more than a 2025 third round compensatory pick, especially when that one's not guaranteed, where if you'd made the trade, it was guaranteed now. Um, and so Quesi took a big risk by not trading Daniel Hunter. He's either seriously betting that he's going to be able to, the Vikings are going to be able to resign him, which I think is going to be difficult, or they're betting that they're going to be able to get a compensatory pick, or they're willing to sacrifice that compensatory pick to have Daniel Hunter for the next nine games. Um, so that's a real, you know, I, I don't know that I would have made that risk, but once again, if you, if veterans in the locker room are coming and saying, don't trade away at our best assets. And, you know, we love the gelling of what we're doing. It's a very difficult move for, for Questy to make. Um, and so uh, it's going to be very fascinating to watch over the next, um, you know, nine games or into March, what exactly happens to that and, you know, how smart was it? And here's the other thing. If tomorrow at practice, you know, Hunter goes out and tears his ACL and he's out for the next nine months and he's signed to way below market rate or even signed, there's a certain window in what's, which a player is even eligible for a compensatory pick. And after that window, if, if a player signs, the team doesn't get it there. It's very, very possible. There, there are, there's an old, old football adage, which I think is a little outdated, but basically when you throw the football, there are three things that can happen. And, and uh, two of them are bad. One good thing is a completed pass. The other two are interception or the ball, you know, goes incomplete. And so with this, I think with what happens with next with Daniel Hunter is there are more opportunities for bad things to happen than there are, you know, a good thing, you know, to happen, which is a Vikings extension. And even with the Vikings extension, it's probably going to be at a much higher rate than, you know, what the Vikings probably wanted to pay him. So it, it, it's pretty, it, and all that factored in. I mean, if, if Kirk Cousins was still healthy, you know, you, you could make the argument like I did at the beginning that they were getting ready to go on a run. And then obviously it didn't make sense, you know, to make the trade unless, you know, some team was going to blow your socks off for the trade. But with Kirk Cousins out for the year, chances are, uh, you know, they're not going to have the same level of competition as they, as they would before be able to, to compete or potentially go on a playoff run. And so, you know, what exactly did holding on to Daniel Hunter, you know, get you for the rest of the season um, other than either one, the opportunity to uh, pay him market rate, which I don't know that you want to do, or two, he helps you win a few more football games, which lowers your, your draft pick um, and, uh, you know, kind of hurts you on that front too. So I don't love what Kwesi Dofamensa did. Um, I understand it from a certain standpoint, but um, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, we're going to go a little bit long today because there's so much to cover. And so, uh, let's talk about Kirk. Um, so Kirk Cousins, you know, obviously has a devastating injury and he's in a contract year. I feel bad for him. Um, uh, there's a number of things at play today, especially given the context of, you know, Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Delvamensa have done press conferences in the back, back to back days where they heavily suggest that they're very open to signing Kirk Cousins to another extension to play with the team again, again next year. So this is a pretty complicated one because, um, okay, let's just start with, um, you know, where things stood. So the Vikings chose not to extend them this past March. That was a conscious decision, you know, and the reports that we got uh, about what happened, those negotiations is that the uh, Kirk Cousins essentially, essentially wanted uh, two more full years guaranteed, uh, basically uh, 2024 and 2025 um, guaranteed. And the Vikings were willing to give 2024 guaranteed, but were not willing to give 2025 guaranteed. 
Um, and so they said, okay, well, let's see what happens this year. Let's come back to the table um, and, and, and move forward with that. And the reason why I don't think the Vikings want to get 2025 guaranteed is because that's a lot of money to pay for a quarterback, knowing that you had to potentially, if you wanted to sign to Neil Hunter, you know, Justin Jefferson's new contract. And then you also had Christian Darisol, they needed a new contract as well as, you know, uh, securing, uh, you know, more talent on your team. Um, and so, and you wanted the opportunity, obviously they, they were looking in this past draft to potentially trade up to draft a rookie quarterback. Um, and so they're potentially looking at getting their, their next guy of the future. And so you don't want to really buy into a guy for, for two more years. And then, uh, both Quasi, you know, mentioned in the past and he kind of walked it back a little bit today, but he mentioned in the past looking at, okay, what's, when does a quarterback usually start to drop off? What do the numbers suggest about age wise and saying, you know, can this guy, you know, play into his late 30s at a high level? And we just look at guys like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers that have been able to do it and think, oh, okay, Kirk can do it too. But when you look at also guys like, you know, Matt Ryan, a former MVP of the league, and he just hit, he, uh, hit a cliff and he completely fell off right around his, you know, 36, 37 age season, which is exactly where, you know, Kirk's looking at. And so, you know, can you guarantee that, you know, Kirk is going to continue to play at a very high level over the next few years? Of course, if we want to be optimists and fans and say, oh yeah, you know, Kirk goes good for another, another few years, just look at him and how he's been playing this year. But especially when he's coming off a, a, a torn Achilles, you don't really know how it's going to go. I mean, he relies a lot on, on driving off that back foot and stuff. What if the, the ankle strength just doesn't come back? Like, you know, he's not in his uh, younger 20s anymore where everything just heals, you know, uh, correctly, exactly how, how it should. So there's some risk involved in even, even extending Kirk, you know, in the first place, especially when he's not going to be fully healthy, um, you know, probably by the time training camp starts, unless he it just has a immaculate recovery. So there's a ton of risk involved here with the Vikings you know, moving forward. Uh, you know, Quasi Delfamanza said today, you know, Kirk obviously takes care of his body and, you know, running as a quarterback is not really part of, uh, Kirk, Kirk Cousins game. Um, and so it doesn't affect him as much as it would say, you know, Lamar Jackson as he, as he threw out. And that's, that's pretty obvious. And he's got a good point. So, you know, all those factors involved, it's really going to see over the next few months, they're going to be paying very close attention to how well, how he's healing, how quickly he's able to get back out there, you know, what it looks like, because there's going to be some risk one way or another. You either let Kirk walk or you send him to extension involved in, in this next decision-making. And we don't really know, you know, obviously they looked into drafting a, a quarterback highly in the first round this year with all the rumors, and we, we've practically confirmed they were thinking about trading up. So that being said, they're obviously thinking about it. So does this expedite the plans? Does Kirk, Kirk's play change anything? There's a lot of unanswered questions, but getting down to the logistics of, of it is also important. So uh, there's been a lot of talk by a number of our beat writers about what's going on with Kirk. Kirk contract. And they all seem to be overlooking uh, one interesting tidbit that a uh, friend of uh, Climb in the Pocket, Eric Eager, you know, has pointed out in an article, which I can uh, include when I post this uh, online. But due to a rule in the CBA, uh, you essentially, as a, as a player, cannot sign two contracts in the same calendar year um, that includes a raise. So um, the way that Kirk extended this deal and added void years and, and added on some salary bonus and everything, basically what it taps out to be is Kirk can't sign a contract um, in March before his void date um, for any more than $40 million. Um, so, so he's kind of maxed out. And it was kind of an interesting concept for the Vikings to even do it in the first place if you take out the Achilles injury. Because if um, you know Kirk signs, uh, you know he can't sign a deal for more than $40 million, 
they either won on Kirk's end, he was planning on taking a, a hometown discount with the Vikings because uh, the market rate for a quarterback of, you know, a quasi top 10 quarterback or Kirk Cousins is over $40 million at this point. So just looking at the Daniel Jones deal. And so he's either planning on taking a discount or he was going to try to use that leverage of taking a lower annual value to get more things like another no trade clause or, you know, potentially another guaranteed year. Uh, or the Vikings were going to use that as an excuse and Kirk was going to use that as an excuse for him to test the market. Um, and the Vikings were saying, you know, sorry, we can't we can't beat it. So, you know, go ahead and go to San Francisco, go ahead and go to Atlanta or wherever it may be. And we're going to move on with our rookie quarterback. So we don't really know the thinking behind that that process. But either way, it's there that, that uh, as of right now, unless the Vikings adjust and the Vikings and, and Kirk agree to, you know, extend out that void date and somehow skirt the rules of the CBA. Um, I'm not a, that level of an expert. And so, and so he can't sign a deal over 40 million. That being said, he's probably not going to get 40 million right now anyway, unless, you know, there's some team in the open market that really believes in him. Maybe it is San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan with Brock Purdy, you know, his play being a little bit more questionable, um, this year that they'll take a risk on it on him and, and give him the bag. But chances are coming off the Achilles when you're an older quarterback, it, it decreases your market value. And so there could be some wiggle room for Kirk Cousins to come back, you know, next year uh, and sign a deal. I, I put a concept of some parameters, at least from my perspective, if, if they were going to do it, I don't necessarily think they should because of the risks I mentioned earlier with a uh, aging quarterback and the cap constraints and, you know, unknowing how he's going to recover from his Achilles uh, injury. But if they were to do it, if you're the Vikings, I can't see how you can guarantee anything more than, than next year. Uh, also, you probably want to tell him, you know, if you do want to do a multi-year contract, we can't do another no trade clause. We can't do another fully geared guaranteed contract. So, you know, you got to be able to, Kirk, you got to give some on that end if you want that multi-year deal to potentially stay with the Vikings. And then third, you got to be able to tell Kirk, you know, we're planning on drafting a first-round quarterback. So, you know, if you want to play for us for a year and while well, he's sitting at, behind you and grooming, but, you know, you need to know that he's the future and that this is your final year with us. Uh, that's the way that I would put it. It seems to be the most uh, – the safest option uh, and the best of both worlds of the Vikings that, you know, if – they wanted to extend Kirk and Kirk, Kirk wanted to be here that the new franchise quarterback draft of the first round could sit behind him for a year, learn from Kirk's professionalism and approach to the game and then take over the following year. Like I, I wouldn't love it from a, a salary cap implications, but you know, for the Vikings, it's something that both Quasi and, and KOC have talked about being important to them. Uh, it could work out uh, now due to the injury more so than it did in the past. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about is that there is a little bit of an inconsistency um, from, I think, what the Vikings say that they're trying to do and their approach to uh, to Neil Hunter and Kirk. So even following Kirk's injury, uh, the Vikings seem to be, you know, they trade for Josh Dobbs and they didn't trade to Neil Hunter because they want to be able to compete this year. Um, and they think that they can either get Jared. Jaron Hall or Josh Dobbs or Nick Mullins up to speed and the defense is playing better, and which is why, you know, presumably they held on to Daniel Hunter. And so I see a lot of fans, you know, on Twitter saying, hey, you know, the season's not over. You know, we can still make a run. Our defense is playing better. Like, we got great weapons. You know, maybe Josh Dobbs can come in and make a Case Keenum or Nick Foles type run um, for the Vikings and, and we can make a run in the playoffs. Well, here's the thing. If the Vikings are able 
to make a run this year and they can get competent play out of Josh Dobbs, Jaron Hall, or Nick Mullins, you know, when they're paying them a million dollars. What that's going to prove is that KOC and the offense and infrastructure that the Vikings have can be sustained and they can have success with a much cheaper quarterback potentially on a rookie deal and that KOC can scheme them up and the weapons are and the system, you know, is really, you know, able to withstand the drop off from a Kirk Cousins level quarterback to a, a quarterback that's got less experience. Uh, and so if they're able to prove that, then, you know, Kirk Cousins, you know, there's no reason to extend Kirk Cousins, you know, in the future. But at the same time, they're speaking on the other side of their mouth and saying, you know, well, Kirk Cousins is, you know, indispensable and we he's playing his best ball and he's doing so many things that other guys can't do. And, you know, all these fans right here saying, you know, well, you know, Kirk is our franchise and we need to look to extend him next year because he's the best shot we have. If you think that, then chances are the Vikings aren't going to do much of anything over the rest of the season and they can't compete. And if you're not going to do that, then why did you hold on to those, you know, veterans? Why did you hold on to Daniel Hunter? Because you think you can compete, so it's either Kirk Cousins is is indispensable, you know, to the Vikings' chances to succeed, or he's not. If he's indispensable, then you know this is a lost season, and you should have you know cut bait and gotten the most draft capital out of it you can. If he's not indispensable, then why are you thinking about potentially still you know extending him in the future? And I guess there is a, a threaded needle you know to come through that we know that Case Keenum was not you know, amazing. And, you know, you just had a magical season that, you know, maybe can all, all work, you know, at the same time, you know, one or the other, but it just seems like something has to give here where either, you know, the, the Vikings had no chance to compete this year and that's fine. You know, they'll get a higher draft pick, potentially use that to, to go get their first round quarterback. Uh, but then you missed out on a lot of opportunities to, to, to move players before the deadline. Um, or, this this team is ready to move forward without Kirk Cousins and you know he played his last down for the Vikings so uh it'll be interesting to see how that kind of conversation plays out uh over the next few months I'm not really sure you know I'd love to hear some feedback uh, from people about whether that perspective is wrong but it, it really just seems a little confusing to me about you know what's going to happen next and, and and how those competing factors play there either way um, this is a massive puzzle uh, that Quasi Duffamansa has to figure out. You know, what are you going to do with Daniel Hunter? You know, you either got to extend him now or you risk losing him for nothing. What are you going to do with Kirk Cousins? You know, how are you going to find your next franchise quarterback? You know, if you win in the next few games and it moves you out of out of territory, you know, to go get one of those top guys you think is is game changing. Is that going to kind of force your hand into back to the negotiating table with Kirk Cousins when you know he's coming off Achilles and? There's there's uh, cap space implications where you probably want to be able to invest in some free agents and, you know, invest in your players. So, um, you know, I think that we are coming out of this trade deadline with more questions than answers about the future of this franchise, which I thought was very difficult to do because I thought we already had a lot of questions about this you know, competitive rebuild. But um, this is why, you know, we do this show. Uh, this is why I love, you know, talking football. I, I, I've gotten in conversations with a lot of fans uh, before. I love, you know, what happens on the field. I'll be fascinated to see what Jaron Hall does this week and how the Vikings, how, you know, how does KOC change his offense with either Jaron Hall or with Josh Dobbs, knowing that they actually have uh, some legs. You know, Matt Stafford didn't really have any legs to use. Uh, these uh, Vikings quarterbacks the rest of the season do. So, you know, could KOC do some 
RPO and some other stuff, uh, you know, pull some things out of his back pocket that we've never seen before. And will he like that? You know, there's all kinds of fascinating, you know, X's and O stuff on the field. But uh, I really love the stuff off the field because, you know, it's a economic puzzle. It's a lot of game theory. It's if X happens, you know, what, what happens with Y and all these things are intertwined and it really, the future of the Vikings franchise is really up in the air. And I hope that, you can continue to join me and climb in the pocket to figure it all out. So I apologize for going a little bit long this week. Uh, there's still more that we need to talk about, um, but we'll save it for next time. But I, if you made it this far, I really appreciate you. You must be a uh, you know uh, cat nerd and, and really love this off the field stuff too. So um, hope you have a great week. Uh, you know, Skull Vikings. Let's see them if they can you know rally against the Falcons. Uh, until next time, this is Nick Miller and climbing the pocket.